Hello, my friends, and welcome to The Bible in Order, where we are chronologically going through the entire Bible in one year. Today's reading for September 22nd is Zechariah chapters 8 through 14. The days are coming, says Yahweh, where old men and old women will sit along the sides of the street in Jerusalem, and the streets will be filled with children, boys and girls playing. It will be a safe place. It will be a place with a rich heritage where every generation lives together in peace and in harmony. God says, I will save my people from the land of the east and the land of the west. In verse 7 and continuing, I will bring them back. They will be my people and I will be their faithful and righteous God. Don't be afraid. Let your hands be strong, God says. In verse 19 of chapter 8, God says the fasts, the fasts will be times of joy and gladness and cheerful festivals. There will come a time when the people of God enjoy denying themselves because they see the benefit of growing spiritually. They deny the flesh in order to quicken the spirit. And as we do that, as we stop feeding ourselves, giving our flesh the things it desires, the spirit man grows stronger. And as the spirit man grows stronger, we have more joy and love and peace and all of the spirit, all of the character attributes of the Most High God. And so if that sounds like something you desire, if you would like the idea of being conformed into God's image by denying your flesh, then love, truth, and peace. As we love truth and peace, we will continue to grow. We will find joy in our fasts. And then the end result of that is that men from every nation of every language will grab the robe of the Jewish man, tightly urging, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Friends, Jesus said the world would know you are his followers by your love for one another. The way we increase our love for one another is by being conformed into God's image, who is love in its embodiment. As we are conformed into God's image, we love people, especially the people of God. There's a movement in the church in the last 50 to 100 years that says we need to love the unbelievers and win them. And there's such a focus on winning souls. But God says we are to love one another first. We are to get our own houses in order. And then the unbelievers will be drawn to us. To fulfill the Great Commission, we need to first get ourselves right. We are doing the world more harm in a lot of ways by making converts and not discipling them because we're ill-equipped to do so. The solution to all of this is to grow and study the Word of God and deny our flesh, fast, become like God, and then we're rightly able to disciple those who are one by the gospel. Right now, the world has such a disdain for the church because the church does not have a lot to offer people. We create converts and make them twice as worthy of hell, Jesus said. In chapter 9, verse 9, it's a famous verse we've all heard used, but I don't know that we really understood the context. 
Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey on a colt. Jesus fulfilled this at his triumphal entry when he went into the streets of Jerusalem prior to his betrayal and then crucifixion. And he will proclaim peace to the nations down in verse 10 because he came to bring back peace between God and all people, as many as who would accept the sacrifice. God says in chapter 10, I will restore them because I have compassion on them and they will be as though I had never rejected them for I am Yahweh their God and I will answer them. When the Jewish people begin to understand that the Messiah has already come, but he will be coming again to bring a final restoration to usher in the day of the Lord, that day that is referred to so many times in these chapters. When you see that day repeated over and over again, it's referring to the day of Yahweh when Jesus returns and establishes peace and the millennial reign. It is the Sabbath day rest that was prophesied initially in Genesis when God rested on the seventh day. Each day of the creation story, I believe, represents a 1,000 year period of human history and we are nearing that Sabbath day, friends. Creation scientists agree that the world is somewhere around 6,000 years old. Many people will say between 6 and 10,000 if you use the genealogical record in the Bible. This sounds like foolishness to the world. That's okay because they are following science that is based on lies. It takes wisdom to discern the truth. And as we research, we need to ask God for discernment. We are coming into a time where it will no longer be acceptable to walk in between these two worlds to say, I know the Bible says this, yet science tells me this, and the two are opposed, so I have to go with science. My friends, true science will always lead you to the truth. True science will always support a young earth creationist worldview. In chapter 11, there's a word of judgment against the shepherds who are taking advantage of the people. They are literally slaughtering the sheep and getting paid for it and bragging about how rich they are becoming and even falsely attributing that wealth to God saying, look how blessed I am. And it sounds a lot like many church leaders today who are getting rich from book sales and speaking engagements and even the tithes of people in their congregations who are getting filthy rich off the backs of poor people who are barely scraping by, yet they're not really doing anything for the people. They're giving them false hope, which will only lead to rejection and disappointment in the future. We all need to be careful who we're listening to and who we're getting words from. Look at some of the most popular speakers in the world today, and then look at the fruit of their ministries and the average person who is following them. How well is that person doing in their faith? 
if you look around at everybody in your church and none of them are doing well spiritually, you should seriously question whether or not you're in the right place. If you're a church leader or a ministry leader and none of your people in your congregation are doing well, if none of your people are growing spiritually, if you yourself are not growing spiritually and becoming more like God, more holy, wise, loving, Friends, if you're not growing, then you're not bearing fruit in keeping with the kingdom. Verse 7, I shepherded the flock intended for slaughter, the oppressed of the flock. I took two staffs, calling one favor and the other union. In one month, I got rid of three shepherds. The question is, what are these three shepherds? I don't know that it would refer to three specific people, but... The idea that comes to my mind as I prayerfully consider this verse is that perhaps these are three mindsets or even three spirits that afflict God's people. Maybe it's the spirit of religion, people who are doing things trying to earn God's favor. Maybe it's a spirit of competition where people are doing things in order to one-up their neighbor. Maybe it's the false prophets, the voice of those who are twisting scripture and helping people feel good about where they are, lying to them, telling them that they don't need to change. Maybe it's the lust of the flesh and people need to remove that desire to make their bodies and their hearts feel good about where they are. The life is leaving religion, friends. What is dying, die. Let what is perishing, perish. And then these two staves, what do they represent? Verse 10 says, I took my staff called favor. Your translation might say beauty or pleasantness. And cut it in two, annulling the covenant I had made with all people. What is the covenant that God had made for all people or with all people isn't it not to make the sun rise and set and send the rain on their crops the natural order will be coming to an end on this day and all people will not get the goodness of god just because they exist that covenant will come to an end in verse 14 then i cut into my second staff called union your translation might say band or cord, annulling the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. Judah and Israel, you'll remember, are both descendants of the people of God. Judah is supposed to represent the people of God who are doing it according to the Spirit, led by a king like King David. That's why Jesus came from his line. The people of Israel are the people of God, but they're doing it according to the flesh. The people who are like Saul, trying to force the kingdom of God to accommodate their way of life. There will be a breaking of the two. There's a shaking happening even now, and we're seeing the separation of the true believers, those who just want God and want him on his terms because they understand that he is the creator. He is the author of life. He is the one to whom and for whom and from whom all things exist. And we need only him and what he says. There's a separation happening because 
the old religious guard doesn't want the freedom that comes in Christ. They want to maintain the status quo. They want to keep things the way they are. Like the people of Israel when they were given Saul as king, they said, we want to have a king like all of the other nations have kings. God said, I am your king. And they said, no, no, we want a man as a king. Friends, the religious people are looking to a man or a woman to lead them. They don't want God. They're the people who say, you, Moses, you go up on the mountain. I don't want to go up in there into that cloud where the lightning is striking. And I can hear the thunder rolling. That's too scary. That's too close to God. It requires too much crucifixion. It requires too much crucifying of my flesh. I might die if I go up there. You go in my place, Moses. The true people of God will be shining like the stars in the night sky when they are no longer watered down by the religious people who don't really want God. If it's true that we become the average of the five people we spend the most time with, it will be good for the true people of God to no longer be in bed with people who call themselves believers and yet are unwilling to follow God by his spirit. My friends, it's no coincidence that Judas betrayed Jesus on the night of his crucifixion for 30 pieces of silver. Yahweh said to me, this magnificent price I was valued by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw it into the house of Yahweh to the potter. Some translations say the treasury. When Judas received that money, he knew immediately that he had made a grave mistake. But instead of repenting, he took his own life, but only after taking the 30 pieces of silver and trying to give it back. The priests in the temple didn't want that money back. They didn't want to have to give up what they had bought. Judas threw the money into the temple, and then he went and took his life. And so it will be for those who try to save their lives, for those who don't want God to come and change their lives, for those who are comfortable where they are, this is how it will be. For the most part, there will be peace on earth. Jesus will be ruling from Jerusalem on an earthly throne. But there will still be sin. There will still be people every once in a while raising themselves up to hurt the people of God. And when they do, they will suffer the consequences swiftly. Then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the house of David and the residents of Jerusalem. Friends, we should be praying for God to pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on us. Many of the times we pray, we don't know what to pray, and so we just choose not to. And instead, when you don't know what to pray, stop and ask, Father, give me your spirit of grace. Give me your spirit of prayer. Spirit of prayer, fall on me. Give me a heart of prayer. Give me the utterance of the Holy Spirit so then when I don't know what to pray, you, Father, by your Spirit can pray through me. May I not be an empty vessel. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an early, as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly for him as one weeps for a firstborn. The people of God will become severely repentant 
for their sin and will be opened to wash away sin and impurity. But that only happens when there's repentance first. A lot of people come into the church nowadays asking Jesus into their heart, repeating words from another person. But in the Bible, there was no altar call. On the day of Pentecost, when the church was born, there was no altar call. There was a sermon, and it was not one of it was not concluded with a every head bowed, every eye closed, slip your hand up real fast if you want to accept Jesus as your Savior. No. There was a sermon where Peter said, you crucified the Son of God, and the Spirit of God convicted those men and women in that place on that day. They were cut to the heart, it says, and they said, what do we need to do to be saved? Peter's answer was to say, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. There's no salvation without repentance, friends. The road into the kingdom is one of pain and suffering. Jesus will make your life better, but it will also cost you your life. It's not taking your current life and making it better. No, it's exchanging your life for his. And the life he has for you is so much better than your own. But a lot of people come to God because they want their girlfriend back, or they want their child back, or they want their job back, or financial security, or whatever it is. Jesus said to the rich young ruler, go sell everything you have, give the money to the poor, and then come follow me. And the man went away sad and dejected. The gospel of the kingdom is not about getting rich or making yourself happy or having a comfortable life with a beach house and a Corvette. It's about laying down your plans and saying, God, what do you want me to do? I'll follow you anywhere. Chapter 14, verse 9. On that day, Yahweh will become king over the whole earth. Yahweh alone and his name alone. The people who have warred against Jerusalem on that day, a great panic from Yahweh will be among them. There's not going to be patience for those who are persecuting the people of God anymore. And so to you faithful ones, just wait a little longer. Keep going. Your time will come on his day. In verse 16, then all the survivors from the nations that came against Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the king. Yahweh of armies and to celebrate the festival of shelters or tents or tabernacles. The people who were part of the warring nations against Israel, against the chosen people of God, will repent in that day. And even they will go up every year to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a commemoration of the fact that we are in these temporary dwellings. Someday we will reach our true home, and that home is not of this world. And the very last verse of chapter 14, on that day there will no longer be a Canaanite in the house of Yahweh of armies. It's representative of merchants. There will no longer be a place in God temple for people to buy and sell and trade and make a profit. Praise God. Let that day come. God bless you, my friends.